Welcome back to the podcast that's all about band and not about band at all. Because in this rehearsal space, everyone has a seat, whether you play an instrument or not. Test, test, test. Okay, we are here. We have arrived at Midwest, and we are just waiting for the exhibit hall to open here on day one. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We're like sitting at a table with college kids and... Boy, that was a long time ago for both of us, wasn't it? Well, it was longer ago for you than it was for me. <laughs> this is factual, but I don't feel like I was quite the way that I'm hearing these kids today talk. I sound like an old person. <laughs> you do. But man, if I had had the opportunity to come to Midwest when I was in college, I didn't even I didn't even know what it was. Same. I didn't know either. I mean, it was just like, what are you talking about? I didn't even start going to this until like 2014. That was 14 years into my teaching career. Well, we're super excited because the, uh, last year's episode live from the Midwest Clinic was one of our most popular episodes, and this year we're basically doing an extended version of what's on your stand, but we're going to be able to talk to the composers themselves because they're all here. Well, almost all of them are here. Two are not with us any longer, <laughs> and two aren't other here. Two others aren't here. But can I just say this too? I don't mean to like self-promote, but I actually picked up the book this year because my name and bio is in it. You are in the book because you are presenting on Friday along with Dr. Paul Booty, and we might uh, do a short little interview with Dr. Booty. Um, all right, and when we say what's on your stand, uh, we should probably tell our listeners we're specifically um, going to be talking about pieces that you are performing at the MMEA Midwinter Convention in February. Um, and the, uh, the program that the Farmington High School Wind Ensemble is going to be playing. So these are all pieces of music that your ensemble is currently rehearsing um, by the likes of Michelle Fernandez and Erica Savano and Randall Standridge, and Viet Quang. Uh, who else is here at Midwest that we can talk to? We uh, get to talk to Benjamin Dean Taylor, the piece that you're going to conduct. Um, and Which is also cool because I discovered that piece at Midwest like 10 years ago. And full circle we come. Super fun. So um, you discovered that piece then? Yeah, it was it was brand new. I think that piece came out in 2014, and I think it's 2024, almost. almost. Almost, right? Yeah. No, it's super great. I'm so excited about the chatting with the composers and um, digging into the more more of the music. So it's gonna be great. All right. So stay tuned for um, interviews live from Midwest and a very special episode of What's on Your Stand. Her first interview is with Randall Standridge about his Symphony Number no. 1, A Ghost Story. The fourth movement, Ascent, will be performed by the Farmington High School Wind Ensemble at the MMEA Midwinter Convention in February. In addition to talking to Randall, we also talked to Paul Kyle, Director of Bands at Edina High School, who led the Commission Consortium. So here's Randall and Paul talking about Symphony Number no. 1, A Ghost Story. We're going to be performing um, the fourth movement of your symphony at yeah. the Minnesota Music Educators um, Annual Convention yes. in February. And I guess our question was, basically, I mean, obviously you're very popular right now and people are performing your music, but how does it feel for you as a composer to hear the premiere of a new piece, especially if it's premiered at an event as big as something like the Midwest Clinic? Well, for me, um, I don't know if that necessarily changes much. I mean, because I'm always just happy when a piece is premiered. Um, I don't care whether it's you know a school in 
you know, backwoods, Arkansas, like where I taught, um, or, you know, in a big event like this. I mean, obviously there is that additional excitement just because of the sheer, you know, number of people, but I'm always just, I'm always just happy. I guess the best word I can use is I'm always satisfied. Like I, it's, it's that feeling of like a job well done. Um, and also the opportunity to move on to what's next. Um, because I tend to find myself, you know, especially at the end of a project, um, I'm always happy it's done. I'm always happy to hear the end result, but my brain is always already looking forward. So it's, to me, it's almost like putting a very satisfying, you know, exclamation point at the end of a sentence and then moving on. And we're so grateful to be able to play part of it at the Minnesota convention since it was um, commissioned by Paul Kyle at Edina High School from Minnesota. So um, we definitely are really excited about it. Well, thank you. It's by far, it is one of my favorite. Well, I mean, there's no maybe about it. It, it is the symphony is my favorite uh, piece I've ever written. And I think if people really listen to it and they know my catalog at all, they'll be able to hear that this is kind of like this symphony is the total encapsulation of everything I've been doing for the last 20 years writing music. And so, again, putting that you know exclamation point at the end, I'm excited about what's next. Thank you so much. So we wanted to connect with you because you had the inspiration to reach out to Randall about this piece. And so we're kind of wondering, like, how did that all come about and what 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 drove that that this project? Okay, it's a really good question. I didn't have the inspiration for this piece. Okay. Um, I'm not a big um, social media person. I do it intermittently. Um, so I don't know, it, maybe it was kismet, but I happened to check Facebook and um, Randall had posted something. I don't even know why I clicked on it, but it it was one of his things where it, at the very end it said, if someone would, would just believe in me that I could write a symphony, I'd love to do it. And I, again, it's all just buckshot to shoot a sparrow. I don't even know why, but I responded and said, I believe in you. Let's connect. If you want to write a symphony, I'm happy to help give it a voice. And that's how it started. It was as simple and innocent as that. And he responded uh, pretty darn quickly. And I just said, what do you need? Okay, let me see what I can do. Let me help do the commission. I'll take care of all the spreadsheet tracking and doing all that good stuff. Um, and I like your music. I think you have something to offer. And I think a symphony of a grander proportion for you would be beautiful. So let's make it happen. And I guess I was also, I felt bad that he didn't feel like anybody believed in him to, yeah. to write a symphony, seriously. Yeah. Um, and I guess I had enough conversations with Tim Marr when he was writing his symphony to know that sometimes you just need someone to believe in you and give the push. Uh, and writing that is daunting enough. Then you don't want to be tracking, finding commissions and blah, 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 and tracking the money and blah, blah, blah. So I just said, let's do it. Why not? That's awesome because I know one thing that is, I mean, if there is a, a negative that has dogged Randall, he's, he's so good at writing middle level music. I think yeah. some people thought that maybe he couldn't write at that level. And it, yeah. it's a it's a grade five symphony it's and it's artistic um did you have any input into like the content or the style or did you give um say i wanted at a certain level or anything like that no uh, and that's kind of my mo when i enter in a commission with composers uh, and i know other people have philosophies of being quite subscribing to things my philosophy and i think i maybe learned this from frank battisti hands off um if it's me selecting the composer i selected you because i love your voice 
and I want you to do whatever you want. And then yeah. I will figure out how to make it happen. Um, and that's my philosophy. And so with Randall, I, it was hands off. You do whatever you want. And I said that time and time again. Now, he would ask questions like, I think I'm writing. I'm, I'm hearing ghosts. I'd like to do this. And then I would just support him in that. Or do you have this instrument? Do you have a contrabassoon? Could I write for contrabassoon? And then I would say, nope. But if I need to hire someone to do it, I'll do it. But as a high school band director, it might that might be a problem. So right. maybe consider cross-queuing it. So I would offer that, but I tried to stay as hands-off as possible and just let him run with his dream. That's awesome. Well, this is so insightful, and we're so appreciative. I'm so excited to perform another portion of this piece um, for our state in February. Yeah. Good luck. Thank Have you. fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The next composer that we had the great pleasure of having a conversation with was Eric Asfano. Um, we are doing Steampunk Suite, the fourth movement, Barnum and Bailey's Tandem Bicycles or Bicycle. Um, the piece is just, it's so much fun. And she is just a gem to talk to and listen to. And her passion for music is just great. Take a listen. Yeah. Okay, so Bradley, I'm so excited because we are here with Eric Asfano yes. at her booth. And, and it's the best looking it is, at Midwest. I, I can't wait because it's going to be part of our promo of this podcast, like this picture right now. <laughs> so we're here with her today. She's um, a composer, works in Minnesota, lives in Wisconsin still, correct? Yeah. Okay. And Sorry, I should have done this. It's all good. Yes. It's all good. <laughs> and so everybody knows, because we're talking about it, that um, our band is playing at MMEA. And so we are so excited to have you because I don't know if you know this, but we are playing part of Steampunk Suite at... The convention yeah. and um we are doing number four this time what's your favorite movement of steampunk oh that's really tough i i i'm i it's hard to pick a favorite but i do love uh doing movement four because you know i will say as a conductor i love conducting that because it just sort of goes and you can just have, sort of have fun and then at the end of course i really like the conductor to do a little bit of a of a shtick at the end because conductors never really like show off. Like we're all about making the group sound great. And here's like a place where I put the conductor on the spot a little bit. So I'm excited to see what you're gonna do for your bit at the end. Well, I remember when I did this a few years ago and you came and worked with the group yeah. with, with, cause both of our bands were doing that piece um, or parts of that piece. And I remember you, and this is like, it's totally out of my wheelhouse to like turn around and wink or do a little sass thing. And I remember even Emily Trinan doing it too at Allstate. And it's just, it's so fun to get us out of our comfort zone. Um, what, what, what do you do to get out of your comfort zone? What, what's something that, that gets you to a, another level? Yeah, well, there's a great, um, there's a great talk by John Cleese. And he talks about uh, like the five steps to creativity. And so one of those steps is, um, like laughter and having a sense of humor. And so I find that uh, just not taking myself too seriously and trying to have like a fun time and put that into my music and like bring joy to people, that really helps me get out of my head. Like I'm never gonna be Mozart, so like why bother? You know, so I just like try to have a good time and like put some fun music into the world, so. And your your music really does have such character and even even your titles, when I saw the title for the the two, two, yes. two can, 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 yeah. or the, the two, two can, can, I don't remember exactly, but I was like, when I saw the title alone, I knew that I was going to love that piece, you know, um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's really, really great music, we love, um, 
all of the stuff, the, the Frankenstein piece that you, you wrote, um, the name is escaping me at the moment. Mary Shelley Mary meets Frankenstein. Yes. I loved doing that one. And it was so great because it featured a Barry Sachs Barry solo. Sachs. And that kid that I had that year doing that, yeah. it, was, it was just beside, beside himself. It was so great. Yeah. And, um, you know, anytime we can introduce students to um, an instrument like the theremin or even just a theremin sound, like sampled through an iPad, um, just music is so creative. And I encourage anybody who listens to this podcast, if you don't know Erica's music, check it out. Uh, you can't go wrong. You definitely want this on your stand for sure. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Great to see you guys. All right, we're going to take a break here uh, to... Uh, honor our sponsors and what's really cool about this is we're doing a live sponsorship break because we are here at the Midwest Clinic and so is Grand Tours. Uh, Jeff Goldsmith, uh, tell us about Grand Tours. Well, Grand Tours has been coming to Midwest for about uh, 23 years and uh, we're really excited to be here. This is the place where things happen musically for band and orchestra, largest in the country I think and uh, it's a great place to be, uh, to network with all the people we love to be around. And why should band and orchestra and choir directors um, choose Grand Tours, Andy Schmidt? Well, because we've got great European partners all over, and they're all here. So come to Midwest, come to the clinic, visit with us, visit with our partners in Europe, and uh, just plan more trips. It's a lot of fun. And um, if you can't be here at Midwest, obviously you can go to your website to learn more, but you guys will be at MMEA in February, correct? Yeah, we're going to be at MMEA. We'll have a booth there um, dedicated toward uh, our international European travel. We often have one of our concert uh, organizers come to that as well. So uh, and we'll have a nice uh, social evening and, and make MMEA fun like we always do. Well, and that is true. You, uh, you always uh, make it enjoyable. You make the trip easy for our students. And you take care of the directors with whom you, you work. And... Um, last thing is i think one of the advantages to your team is that you all have been band directors you've been in the classroom tell us how that makes your company kind of a step above i like to tell people i use my band director skills every day in my travel job it's fantastic so i think like a band director i think like a teacher and uh it just helps us move move kids around and provide those concert opportunities for them awesome and well whoever you travel with get your students out to see the world um, and if you're looking for a new travel partner we can't recommend Grand Tours enough. Our third interview is with Benjamin Taylor the composer of Shattering Infinity. Not only will he talk about this composition but I also give a little background on how I first discovered this piece at the Midwest Clinic back in 2014. Uh -huh. So we wanted to come here and talk to you about the piece, and I'm going to let Brad take over and like talk about his experience and all the connections that he has with you. Okay. Right. So I don't know if you remember this, but we met here. It might be. I think it was actually 2014. It was maybe 10 years ago now. And I was looking at a score at a booth, um, and I was looking at the score for Tekeli's Blue Shades. And you, remember. you okay. yep, I remember this very specifically. And you came up to me. <laughs> he just noticed the boots. Okay. Um, and. Uh, Aaron's boots, not mine, to, to clarify to our listeners. Um, and you said, um, can I help you? And I said, I'm just kind of looking for something kind of fresh and different and uh, maybe a little bit jazzy. And you said, well, hey, I've got a piece that I just wrote that was just premiered. It's called Shattering Infinity. And you gave me the score and gave me headphones. And I listened to it and I was like, this is awesome. And I bought it like on the spot. And... 
Um, I ended up programming it uh, that following year with my band. I was teaching in Austin, Minnesota at the time. I've since moved on to Farmington, and when she got selected for her wind ensemble to play at our state convention this year, I said, I've got the perfect piece that is just still, 10 years later, so fresh and exciting, and a lot of people still haven't heard it, and it deserves a bigger audience. So can you tell us a little bit more about Chattering Infinity and where the inspiration came from? I know it's it, it, it means a lot and it's very symbolic. So sure. can you talk a little bit more about that? Okay, sure. Uh, so I'm a jazz trumpet player and I knew I wanted to write something groovy. Uh, and, and everyone who's played that piece, you know, knows that middle groove section that especially the low brass will yeah. often like, I, I, I've, I've gone to rehearsals where spontaneously, you know, before rehearsals even started, somebody's like, hey, let's play letter M. You know? Uh, and, and it's funny, like here, I guess just a couple years ago, uh, we officially made that section a stand tune. I saw that, yeah, yeah. for March. Perfect, great idea. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, because, hey, we all love that section. So anyway, um, definitely, you know, bringing from my jazz influence and I wanted um, I can't remember how I, I first got the idea but I, I thought I've never seen a fractal represented in music before right. like what would that sound like in music and and so this was a cool experiment and like can I make a piece of music that is uh, one flat seven oh actually it's five four flat seven one or what well, I don't remember what the pitches are now. Anyway, bum 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 bum. And uh, the whole piece is the the key centers are built around those five pitches so that if you were to zoom out, you would get those five pitches, right? Right. As like the overall sonic uh, architecture. Right. Uh, and, and so that was just really fun for me mm -hmm. to have this challenge of like how do I put together a piece that is in five different keys and still feel like uh, uh, you know, a, a piece of music that's cohesive and whole. But I also wanted, like, the beginning of the piece, it feels like we just got thrown right into the middle of this yes. thing, right? Yeah. Like, jump, bump, 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 what the, what, like, <laughs> and, the, and the timpani, boom, and the horns and the trumpets with their little color thing there. And uh, and that's exactly, that's supposed to represent that infinity aspect of, like, we're just in it. Right. There was no start, there was no end. We're just in it. Uh, yeah, does that help? That is really, really awesome. And it's so amazing to be able to speak with you and to be able to take this back and tell our students about it. But we'll also be sharing this on our podcast and we'll, we'll let you know as the um, performance draws closer and make sure to connect with you. But thank you again for a wonderful piece of music. Thank you so much, Brad. So this next one I'm absolutely fangirling over is an interview with Michelle Fernandez, the, uh, the composer of, of Endless Miles and Empty Rafts cool thing was it was a world premiere performance um, here at Midwest. I'm so excited for you to listen to this interview. We are here with Michelle Fernandez, the legendary Michelle Fernandez. I have been in love with her music for years and years and years and programmed it with, with honor band things. And now we get this beautiful gift of a piece of music from her and we're going to perform it at MMEA. Yeah, this is great. It's very exciting because I've been familiar with... Um, her jazz arrangements and original compositions, but um, this is one of the first concert band pieces I've heard. It's really fresh, it's really original, and it's also deeply meaningful. So 
Um, Michelle, can you tell us a little bit more about this piece, the inspiration behind it, and um, um, what audiences should know before they hear this piece of music? Thank you so much. I'm really grateful to Aaron Snipes uh, because when his group, uh, Braswell High School, made it to the Midwest Conference, he reached out to me and he asked me to write them a piece. I immediately, of course, uh, accepted gratefully and I asked him kind of what he would like me to write. And he wrote me this beautiful message and I, I, I wish I could pull it up right now and, and, and just read it, but it was full of this just heartwarming emotion. He asked me to write what I feel passionate about. He asked me to pretty much write anything that stirs my heart and really uh, affects my soul and, and to just let it all just pour out. And living a few blocks away from one of the Cuban Exodus Museums, uh, as I was growing up, I remember that they had some empty rafts and I never went in. But I do remember as a child hearing about rafts watching, washing up, up on shore, and they were empty. And I remember feeling that, just that pain in my stomach, envisioning, you know, where are they, what happened to them? And the thing is, this is not a contemporary statement at all. It's more of a statement of respect, paying homage to the courage of anyone throughout time that has to leave their home to protect their family. And one of the things I did when I stopped teaching uh, music, I was teaching ESOL. And I actually taught ESOL to the kids who had walked over in that caravan. A lot of them were in my class that literally walked from Central America to Miami and, or, or to the border, I guess, and then got transported. And they ended up in Miami. And uh, their stories were intense and heartwarming and very sobering. So, I was very inspired to write this piece and I dedicated it to my parents. They didn't come over on rafts, but their exodus was very traumatic. My father was arrested for several days and disappeared because he spoke out against the government. And uh, my mom had to dress up her uncle as a woman and sneak him into the Venezuelan embassy because they were after him too for speaking out against the government. And uh, the whole family had a very traumatic exodus. So I was very inspired to kind of pay homage to that. Can you talk about some of the style characteristics in the piece and and how you help students to perform it in, in an authentic way? Well, the piece is divided into three sections. The first section is a very intense chorale. And as I rehearse it, I actually ask the students to envision themselves in a raft during the middle of a storm with their family, having fled their home, holding on to each other as the raft is tossed about by waves. And the cymbal crashes actually uh, depict waves crashing against the raft and splashing up in the air. And then at the end of the chorale, there's a section where the music clearly starts to descend into the depths. And I told I tell the kids the truth. At this point, when I was writing, I envisioned somebody falling overboard and sinking down. And the rain beating down on the raft with whoever's left inside yelling out with outstretched hands. And then the piece suddenly fades into a very elegant Guaguancó style, which uses a 2-3 rumba clave. Mm -hmm. And it's very dignified, very elegant. It's very nostalgic of 1950s, 1940s Cuba. And it's meant to be a flashback to the memory of that person who fell overboard and suddenly flashing back to beautiful, innocent pictures of seeing them at home, in their garden, picking flowers, 
making dinner, whatever it is, dignified, not hurting anyone, just being beautiful, humble people. And then still in the flashback, when it picks up into the Son Montuno, which is also known as Salsa, but it's really Son Montuno. That's where it, acceler it, it accelerates. It's still a flashback, but this is where the urgency in the town, the village, uh, that sense of we need to get our stuff and get out of here. Let's protect our family. We got to go. So there's that urgency in the piece and packing up their bags, running, being pursued. Then towards the end, when the piece really speeds up, is back to the present. And it depicts the people that are still in the raft, finally seeing shore, making it to shore. And it has that triumphant sound. And basically now that feeling, these people, they made it to safety and they're gonna carry on and contribute in honor of the person that they lost to make that person proud of them. And which is pretty much, I'm trying to say without breaking up because we all have people in our past that fled their homes somehow. It doesn't matter what nationality we're from and what era, there's always someone in our background that left their home and didn't want to. So it kind of pays respect to what they went through and their courage and hoping to just kind of pass on that empathy for kids, to feel that empathy for the kids sitting next to them. You know, where's your family from? What What's your heritage? What did your family go through to get here? And um, that's pretty much the inspiration on the piece. I love that so much. I mean, you know, as as directors in an everyday school program, we we really work hard to, to capture what the composer wants, but you, you just don't always know until you hear about it. Um, but it's also like, it, it's so moving to, to be thinking about every single person, you know, like we get, so drawn to the day-to-day -day things and being playing good music and doing all the all the things that we've got going on but to really just sit back and listen to a meaning behind anything i think it makes such a connection with our students and i'm, I'm so grateful for this piece thank you so much thank you. thank you so much i'm grateful that you thought enough about it to allow your students to experience what i felt when i just i just i love seeing people respecting and loving each other's cultural background or just their background period. Um, I just finished, it's, it's beautiful. I just got a commission for uh, a piece for the South Florida Youth Pride Bands. And they asked me to write something spirited and uplifting and disco. Yeah. And I was like, disco, you guys want disco? And I thought, how happy is that gonna sound? I couldn't wait to get my hands on that commission. And I just finished it and I tried to write it in a sense to bring joy to other kids and remind them. And I called it proud of me to remind a kid to be proud of themselves and hopefully to remind others to be proud of them too, no matter what. And it just accepting each other from all walks of life, all beliefs, backgrounds, that's really what makes the whole community special and not splitting up into little groups, you know. You, you are such a gem. I'm, I'm just so humbled that I've gotten to know you and just being around you, just you just make us better. And I'm so thankful, so thankful. Well, I appreciate that. But the reality is I relish any opportunity to help somebody's students smile because it's a blessing and it's very healing. And um, I, I can't even put into words what it feels like to know that somebody cares enough about something that fell out of your head and is allowing their children to have just some experience with it. It's a blessing and, and it, it, I really appreciate it. You have no idea. Thank you so much. 
Our final interview is with Viet Quang, the composer of Diamond Tide. And if you haven't heard this piece yet, definitely go check it out. It is very unique, um, beautiful, creative percussion instrumentation. We talk a little bit about his inspiration and how it became Diamond Tide. Um, I think one of the biggest questions we have is that you have such a unique compositional voice. The way that you use instrumentation, color, and especially percussion. Can you talk a little bit more about um, where that inspiration comes from and specifically how you utilized it in Diamond Tide and what it represents? Sure, well thank you. I'm glad you think what I'm doing is unique because <laughs> you kind of never know. But uh, I was a percussionist growing up and so I sat through a lot of rests but also a lot of sort of uninteresting uh, percussion writing and I think just because I played so much like snare drum, marimba, symphony, like growing up that I just really try to find interesting things that will keep percussionists excited and interested and engaged. Um, and I also just like, like to listen to a lot of um, chamber music and orchestral music. And I like to think of myself as just like a composer who writes for everything and I do write for band as well. Um, and so sometimes what I'm trying to do is like recreate interesting things that are from chamber music or orchestral music just in a band medium. That's, that makes a lot of sense because you, the way that you score the music, independent lines, a lot of solos, um, you can definitely see that it's not a traditional block wind band scoring, which which makes it more difficult for students, which is why it's so great that a top ensemble like this can play at a state convention and introduce it, hopefully, to a, a larger audience. Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, I just like independence of line, too, just because the colors you can create when, say, in, like, in, in Diamond Tide, when uh, like staggered entrances happen, it creates a really cool sort of wash of sound that's like cascading water or cascading liquid, which is kind of like what Diamond Tide is all about. Well, and that's the fun thing about this piece too, is that you, your, your vision can be what it, what it wants to be. And that's why I love the creativity of it and that every single person can, can create a level of, oh, this is what it means to me. And um, yet still feel like very empowered in the piece and have, like you said, their own lines. And then, uh, of course, the amazing percussion. We have such strong percussionists and we're so ex they're so excited to play this piece. Yeah. So great. Great. Well, say thank you to them for me. <laughs> we, will. we will. Thank you so much. Schmidt Music is your trusted resource for all things band and orchestra. Their team of instrument specialists are experts in their craft and happy to help with everything from guiding students as they select a step-up instrument, presenting master classes, and more. The specialty shops at Schmidt Music carry an extensive selection of instruments from the finest brands in the world for every level of player, all of which can be accessed through your local Schmidt Music store. From do re mis to symphonies, Schmidt Music has got you covered every step of the way. Well, there it is. It's Friday afternoon and we've just spent basically three days going to sessions and concerts and networking and eating great food. Um, Midwest is almost over, but it was once again, another amazing experience. Oh my gosh. I, I can't believe all the good things I got to hear from people. It's just so inspiring. And then what a great idea you had to go and like 
find out all these composers or seek out these composers and just go chat with them. It's, it's, it's such a connection to make with our students, with ourselves, with the literature. I'm, I'm so excited now more than ever for MMEA. Yeah, this was this is one of the reasons why Midwest is so important. It brings everyone together, whether you are a teacher or a composer or you work in the, the music industry. And the fact that we have access to these composers, not only did we learn a lot through these interviews, but um, they get a chance to meet the people that are performing their music. And we can now share these interviews with our students and give them added depth and understanding as they prepare for their next concert. Absolutely. And, and so directors, I highly encourage you to do the outreach to composers and get that personal um, experience from them, whether it's in an email or a Zoom call or whatever it is. It's so good to know the humans behind why they do what they do. And, you know, I'm very excited about the why all the time. Yeah. And if you ever have an administrator who questions why you should um, take a couple of days off to come something like Midwest, uh, share this episode with them. Um, because this is this really gets to the the depth and humanity of the art making creative process. So uh, to everyone who makes Midwest happen every year, thank you to the organizers and coordinators, and um, we'll see you back here at Midwest 2024. And until then, this has been, and until then, this has been another episode of band is everything. everything.